0: I advise you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson this morning. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I'm with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, as I have said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give to you a new commandment, that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Those liberals, they are destroying our country. If we could just get rid of them, everything would be so much better. If we could just get rid of them, somehow get them out of here, make them go away, our country and our world will be so much better off if we could just get rid of them. Those conservatives, they are what's wrong with everything. They think only of themselves. And if somehow, somehow we could just make them go away or get rid of them, then everything would be better. They are what's wrong with our country. They're what's wrong with our world. Now, we know this is true, right? We see these facts displayed on the news we watch, the websites we read, the news we listen to, the Facebook pages we see online or maybe even share online. We know that they, whoever they are, they are what is wrong with our world and they are what is wrong with our nation. And if they were no longer here, then life would be perfect. It would be a utopia. That's what our world thinks. In fact, that may be what some of us this morning think today. Yeah. They're the problem. We see this crystallized every day across our country, across our news feeds, across our Twitter timeline, to cross across the Chiron on the bottom of the screen as we watch the news. As we're getting our oil changed, we see it every day. I'm listening to a podcast now. You know, y'all know I love podcasts. I'm listening to a podcast about. Uh, it's kind of got me a little nervous. It's about the about the next American Civil War, if it were to happen. And the guy that is doing it, he's he's a guy who's traveled across the world in in conflict across Asia and Africa, uh, the Middle East. And he says the first thing that happens in any type of civil war is the language being used. Is people begin to use the language. With those with whom they disagree, they begin, to, they begin to use the language to describe them as almost being not human. That other side, they're vermin. They're viruses. They are subhuman. And what happened is this: you see, said so you see it play out across the world. You when you begin to attribute that character to those with whom you disagree, that they're less than you, that they're, that they're not fully human, that they're beneath you. It's very easy to go to, to hate them, not just to disagree with them, but to hate them, to see them in lenses that are not charitable and to, to grow to despise them, uh, to see them as being someone not fully worthy of your love, of your respect, of your admire, of anything to just want to get rid of them. He said, you see that displayed all over. And I see it displayed all over our Facebook news feed. I see it displayed all over the opinion pages of the newspapers we read. I see it displayed sometimes even within our own hearts. As we think about them, whoever they may be. That's but that's the way of the world, I guess. That's just the way things operate. That's just life in the big city. The way we think nowadays, the way we operate nowadays, it's their fault. If it weren't for them, it'd be okay. See, but here's the thing. I'm not sure that's the way of Jesus. Because look at our text today. Today, today, it's funny. We only this. The text we read is a snapshot of a bigger discourse in John's Gospel. It starts earlier and it continues on into chapter fourteen, on into actually chapter seventeen. It's Jesus' discourse before he's crucified. That's when he says once he went. The text says once he went out that he is Judas. Judas has just left to betray Jesus. Is what happens previous to this, and so Jesus sees Judas leave, and he knows he knows Judas is going to betray him. So he knows now his time with the disciples is short. He knows what he says now, that the things he says now will be the last things he says to the disciples. So think about it. Think think about if you were fixing to leave and you knew you would never see your family again. Think about if you were fixing to leave, you would never see your friends again. What are you gonna leave with them? Like, okay guys, I'm fixing to go. And this is important. You need to know this. Don't put tomatoes on your tacos because that's disgusting. Like, no, you're not gonna leave with, although that isn't important, you need to write that down. Tomatoes don't belong on tacos. Tacos should be meat, shells, lots of sour cream and cheese, and that's it. You know, very simple. Like, but you're not gonna leave that as the last thing you tell your people before you go. These are Jesus's last commands to his disciples. What does he tell them? This new commandment I'll leave with you. That's your love. You're to love one another as I have loved you. And that's what we see, y'all. As not, Jesus says it's this new commandment, but it's really the commandment we see across scripture. Hit fast forward. Go to Corinthians 13. We sang it this morning. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I surrender my body to the flames, if I give all that I have to the poor, but have not love, I've accomplished nothing. If I preach the best sermon in all the world, in human history, but I don't have love within me, that I've accomplished nothing. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, that I'm a clashing gong or a clanging cymbal. Jesus says this: the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord of our Lord, the Lord of our, our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. On this hinges the law and the prophets. If you distill all the old testament law, and all of Jesus' teaching, if you distill it down, it's going to bring you to love of God and love our neighbor. Think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no gods before me. That's loving God. Thou shalt not murder. That's loving your neighbor. But see, this loving your neighbor business is hard. It's typically pretty easy for most of us, most days, not to murder folks. Like, can't speak for you. But most days, not committing murder. Eh, Typically easier. But loving your neighbor with all that you are is hard. Because I don't like them. I don't like them. You tell me I gotta love them? When I don't like them? Because here's the thing, y'all. We disagree. See, the mistake we make is this. We have have mistaken agreement or disagreement for love. I'm not telling you, you've got to agree with everybody, y'all. Hear me. I'm not telling you not to be passionate about your beliefs. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you should not fight for what is right. I'm not saying that you must be weak an unflinching, unflinching in, the, in, the, in the line of fire. No, stand for your beliefs. Do what you think is right. Stand for truth. I'm not telling you not to do that, but what I'm telling you is that person over there that disagrees with you, you gotta love them. He does not give us an out. He said, love your enemies. I don't like my enemies. That's why they're my enemies. But he tells me to love them. And that's so hard, y'all. The way of the world is the easy path to hate your enemies. It's the way of the world. It's always been the way of the world. It's always been the way of the world. It was the way of the world in Jesus' day. It's the way of the world in our day. But what does it say to the world when the disciples of Jesus can say this? I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. I don't share your politics. I don't share your positions, but I'll love you anyway, because I follow the path of the one who has called me to love. And that is so hard. But what would it say to an unbelieving world when the people of God unflinchingly unapologizingly love everyone. We can't do that on our own will. I think that's why one of the first steps for this is honestly our life of prayer. We have to pray for those. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And sometimes I think that confuses us because what we mistake is this, like when, when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, if our enemies, the people we don't like, are doing things that we don't agree with, I don't think Jesus is calling us to pray that they be successful in their stuff. You know, I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is this, that we need to pray for God to change their hearts. That we need to pray for God to pour his blessings upon them so that they can have their hearts changed. Because here's the thing, y'all, the only thing, the only thing, y'all, this is why I do what I do. I believe this with all that I am. The only thing that can change someone's heart is Jesus Christ. That's it. Only Jesus Christ can change someone's heart. Not my opinion and not my fist. And certainly not my Facebook status. That will not change a life. Only Jesus Christ will change a life. So we've got to pray for folks, y'all. We've got to pray for those with whom we disagree. We've got to pray for those that we don't like. We've got to pray for those that are wrong. We've got to pray for them. And pray for God to pour his grace upon them so that they can know him, so they can grow close to him, so that they can be changed by him. We've got to pray for them because when we pray for them, God can change their hearts. But also this, when we pray for them, something crazy happens in our life. We may grow to actually like them ourselves because it's really hard. It's really hard to pray for somebody and hate them. It's really hard to pray for somebody and not like them. It's really hard because God's grace will not let you off that easy. The Holy Spirit will not let you off that easy. And y'all, this is ultimately what our faith distills itself down to. There's this great, um, you know, John Wesley recorded everything he ever did. Like in our day, he'd be the first blogger. I mean, every, everything's in his journals. And so we, a lot of the stuff we know about Wesley, we get from his journals. And um, he has this great, this great passage about Aldersgate. And many of y'all are, y'all are familiar with this Aldersgate experience. That's where he's reading Martin Luther's preface to Romans. And it, his journal says that he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed with the knowledge that I, even I, could be saved by grace through faith. So we all, we all know that part. That's kind of common Methodist lingo. But what's interesting is if you were to keep reading his journals... When you keep reading his journals, you know what you see? After he has had his heart warmed by grace, his journals say that he felt his heart fill with love towards those who had harassed, who had har- harassed him. He felt his heart fill with love towards those who had belittled him. He felt his heart filled with love towards those who had attacked him physically or verbally. He felt a compulsion from God to love even those who were his enemies. And it wasn't a choice of will for him. He did not say, hey, today's the day I'm gonna love those that are wrong. No, his heart was so full of love, God's love interjected within it that he could not help but love even them. And y'all, that's where the world needs the church right now. I'm gonna be very honest. Our culture scares me now because we've gotten to the point where we think so little of those with whom we disagree. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the culture. The culture has gotten to the point where we can despise those with whom we disagree. And for those of us that follow the path of Jesus, that is not an option. We have got to love Republicans. We have got to love Democrats. We've got to, because if we as the church are not the rebar of our nation that holds it together, we will spin out of control. We've got to. I'm not saying we gotta agree with everybody. I'm not saying we gotta, I'm not saying we got to change our minds, but I'm saying we've got to love. Because that is the only thing that can change the world. And that is the only thing that can change the human heart is love. The love of God shed abroad is the only thing that can change the human heart. I believe that with all that I am. And if all we do is metaphorically punch the world in the face, why are they gonna come to church? If the only glance we give the culture is the glance of judgment, why would the the culture ever want to come into this place? You don't wanna go, you don't go where you're not wanted. And if we despise people If all we do is judge the culture and never extend grace, there's no way lost folk will ever come into this place to love Jesus. And we'll only spend our time speaking to ourselves. When there's a world out there, y'all, I believe this with all that I am, there's a world out there that needs Jesus Christ desperately, that desperately needs Jesus. And he has placed us here to proclaim Jesus to the world, which means we've got to get to know him. Means we gotta love them. Even if we don't like them, even if we don't agree with them, we gotta love them because that love will change them. I was, uh, one of my last classes in the seminary was a class on Wesleyan theology, where um, over the course, the, course we, our, the class finished, we had to write a long 50 page paper on some theologian. And so uh, the guy that I picked was somebody that I knew a little about, a guy by the name of Thomas Oden. Uh, he was a professor and he, he had retired by that time. He lived in Oklahoma City. This was about, about 01, 02. And so back in the day, guys, this is crazy. Back in the day, they used to have these big books with names and numbers in them called a phone book. It's crazy. And um, so I went and looked up, the, got went to the, this, this other crazy place called a library with books in it. It was just insane. Um, so I went to the library in Memphis and got the Oklahoma City phone book out and looked up. Thomas Odin's name. And guess what I found? I found his number. So I just called him. I said, Dr. Odin, I'm a dumb kid in Memphis writing a paper on you. If you could tell me what to read, if you were in my shoes, young, entering the ministry, what would you tell yourself to read? What should I spend my life reading? Dr. Odin said, Andy, you should read the early church father's. Because the world they live in is the world you're going to live in. Pluralistic. Christianity is going to become a minority voice in the culture. Christians may in time become put down upon. That's the world you're going to live in. So you need to see what the early church did. Here's the thing, y'all. This world seems to be spinning out of control. And we feel like we have no power to change things. But we've already done it once. Jesus started off with about a hundred folk, none of whom were powerful, none of whom were wealthy. And they brought the Roman empire to its knees and made Rome the seed of the Western church for thousands of years to come. These 100 people through the power of Jesus Christ changed their world, changed their culture and changed the course of human history. They did it without a gun. They did it without power. They did it without any of these things. They did it through the power of Jesus Christ and through his love. The church did it once before. We can do it again. But we've got to make Jesus Christ irresistible to a world in need of him. We have to lift him up. And the word says, when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. The world needs us now, y'all. The world needs the church to be the church. And through the power of Jesus Christ and through his love, we can change things. I'm not saying we got to agree with them. But I'm saying this, the Bible gives us no other option. We have to love them. As we love them, as we live out his grace, he will change the world. May we love all that we come in contact with, and may the world know that he is Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Help us to love you with all that we are, and help us to love your world. We love you. We ask in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. Today, our closing hymn is an older song. You You may have heard it before. I'm sure you have. It's called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. This morning during the final, it, it's in, it's in, on your order of worship, it's not in your book, it's not in the, the hymnal, it's in the order. So I would encourage you to sing with us during this final song, the altars open. Perhaps you've never made the decision to put your whole faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is a great day to accept Jesus and proclaim his, him as Lord of your life and live by his grace. I'd invite you to come and pray. Perhaps you'd like to learn more about how to join our church. We'd love to talk to you about how you can become a member of St. Matthew's. Perhaps you'd just like to pray. Maybe there's some hatred you've been carrying. Maybe there's some burden you've been carrying. You went to lay at the altar. Today is a great day to give it completely to Jesus Christ. Would you like for one of us to pray with you? Just acknowledge us. We'd be glad to pray with you. But during our final song, the altar is open. Won't you come?